Welcome. Welcome to Saw Company. If we haven't met, my name is Tammy Agbaje. Yeah. Appreciate the love. Love y'all. I have the privilege of being on staff here with Salt Company St. Paul. Um, if it's your first night tonight, we are super pumped that you've decided to come hang out with us as we start our series in Colossians. Yeah, come on. Fun fact about Colossians, it's not as depressing as Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes was a great book, was it not? Yes, awesome. Well, if you haven't yet, you can go ahead and open up. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 1 through 14. Um, but before we do that, uh, before we get into the passage, I just have a question specifically for the guys in this room. Ladies, you're the reason I'm asking this question. You'll know why in a little bit. Um, how many of you guys have been the victim of this question? If you had to land a plane, could you do it? Raise your hand. How many? All right. All right. A handful of us. Okay. Okay. Let me explain something real quick, all right? Apparently, I, I raised my hand in that, and I actually said, absolutely, without a doubt, if I had to land a plane, I would. That was really exposing for me because apparently 90% of guys would say they could do it. With no experience whatsoever, they think, we think we can land a plane. Crazy, I know. In fact, there was a humbling moment for me where... Um, I was sitting around where a bunch of guys and I, we were talking about this question, and a guy actually said, no, I wouldn't be able to land this plane. And I looked at him and I was like, you're saying if everyone's life on the plane was in your hands, you couldn't just muster up this courage and all of a sudden become Top Gun Maverick and land this plane? And he looked at me and he said... No, I wouldn't be able to land this plane. And he actually took the time to study it, right? He was like, all right, think about it. The margin of error for someone who's never landed a plane is very, very large. I mean, you could land that thing. Would everyone survive? Probably not. <laughs> um, because there's a specific way you have to land the plane so that people on the plane don't die. And after that, I was like, all right, I can't land a plane. Um, but there's a reason why I bring that story up is because in order to be able to land or fly a plane, you have to have gone to some kind of pilot school, right? You have to get the qualifications, take the classes to be able to be worthy of being considered a pilot. And the same thing is true about being a Christian in that in order to be worthy of living the Christian life, we need to walk worthy of the call that God has called each and every one of us. The main idea tonight is that we are called to walk worthy of the life that God has called us to live. And so the first point of tonight is we're going to look at is gospel living. And we'll be reading verses 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. 
He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love and spirit. We see in these verses that the church of Colossae was killing it, that they were living out the faith that they proclaimed. But I want to touch on something that Paul, uh, about how Paul uh, alludes this, right? He doesn't look at the church in uh, Colossians like, yo, you guys are amazing, you guys are killing. He actually points to their motivation for living out their faith. And that the motivation was that the gospel had deeply transformed each and every one of them in such a way that the saints of that time were like, wow, this is the power of the gospel. I want to give some context here during this time as to why Paul is writing in such a way. During this time, there were a lot of false teachers who were... uh, just teaching things about spiritual things, so angels, demons, philosophies. And so Paul was really trying to encourage them and remind them to keep their eyes on the gospel and remind them that the gospel is enough for them to put their confidence in and to also remind them and that the gospel has done a work in them and remind them of the work that has been done. We need to be. We also need to be reminded of the good news for this very reason, um, so that we can believe and also have confidence in the gospel to change our lives. Here's the truth about the gospel: the gospel changes everything and everyone. And we need to be reminded of this because we are so easily distracted. Guys, Paul's concern was that the Christians in Colossae were going to be distracted by these false teachers. And the goal of these false teachers is not to push you towards Christ. The the goal of the lies of the world around is not to push us towards Christ, but it's actually to push us away and as a result shipwreck you. And now the question I want you guys to think about tonight is that does the relationship that you have with Jesus impact your every single day lives? Now, I've been married for a little over four and a half years. Maybe we can get the picture up there. Look at her. Hey, hey. Yo, she's a queen, y'all. She's a queen. Now... Y'all, can you imagine what my life would look like if I had gotten married to her and the only time I ever saw her was that wedding day? Like we went our separate ways. I started, we started dating different people. I made decisions without her. In one sense, we would be married, which is legally we'd be married. But in another sense, many of you would question, are we truly married? Because we weren't acting like it. Thankfully... None of that is true. And I want to show you guys what it looks like to be married. Just a few things. It's like you make decisions together. We make decisions together because we are now one flesh. Now the decisions we make and and the decisions we make impacts our lives. And there's a commitment that we have to one another. Till death do us part. Ultimately the relationship changes our lives. Now here are some ways that Marriage changed me. I learned that when socks have holes in them, you should throw them away. All right. I know, crazy, but you got to do it, apparently. 
Um, I learned that this one's kind of a TMI. I needed to shower more than I actually was. I know. I should have, but I wasn't crazy. Um, I realized that I was far more selfish than I thought I was. Um, I thought I was pretty selfless, but I guess I don't know. Um, I learned that I was a terrible listener, and this is how. I tried to help her fix things, but I learned that that's actually not always helpful. Um, and so, uh, fellas, that one's for free. Um, and uh, I also realized that I struggle with volume control. If you're Nigerian, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, I blame that because here's the thing, a little window into growing up in a Nigerian household, I'm sure this is true about African households, but when we talk, we yell. And it's not personal, it's just like, we're just very passionate people, and so we just yell when we talk, all right? Um, and so those are some ways that um, I changed as uh, being married to my lovely wife. Now, some of you may be wondering, great, Timmy, what does marriage have to do with this? Well. The reason why I use marriage as an example is because once we become followers of Jesus, this is the type of relationship we're supposed to have with Jesus. Now, not in complete entirety, right? But the kind of commitment that we have is one that we have that impacts our lives, right? The relationship impacts how we live our lives. It impacts um, not only how we live our lives, but specifically also the relationships that we have with other people, right? Um, in our other relationships, um, we are quick to celebrate people around us. We're not looking to ourselves. We're not looking to celebrate ourselves. We're not looking to be selfish. When we have uh, beef with other people, when we are bitter with other people, we are so quick to reconcile. Why? Because our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It is against the spiritual forces of darkness, as we see in Ephesians 6.12. You seek to love your neighbors, your friends, your families. You look to steward the things the Lord has given you well, your money, your resources, your body. You don't waste time scrolling on your phone endlessly because that time is supposed to be, is, is not the time that was given to you to waste. You have integrity in every single thing you do and you don't cut corners. You care about the people in your city, the marginalized, the outcasts, the families, the children. You seek to share the gospel to all nations. If a relationship with Christ doesn't change you and impact every area of your life, do you actually have a relationship with him? Have you actually been transformed by the gospel? I want you guys to think through those questions. Does your relationship with Jesus only apply on Thursdays and Sundays? Does it only apply when you're around your Christian friends? Being a Christian, guys, means that your relationship with Jesus isn't just a Thursday, Sunday, small group or C group or around Christian friends thing. It's a relationship. It means that when you have a relationship with him, you're willing to give up everything in order to live for him in every single part of your life. It means that you are a Christian in every single moment because you're in this committed relationship. Now, that I've said that, there's a reality that we all need to understand, right? The reality is we live in a sin-cursed world. And what I just said is easier said than done. 
And here are some, some marks of living in a sin-cursed world. As a believer, you're going to have people who don't appreciate the lifestyle you've chosen to live. Because it goes against their lifestyle. You also may be living in a lifestyle of sin. The accolades and the accomplishments seem to promise you happiness. But guys, at the end of it, it will leave you wanting more and more and more. And here's another sad reality, a sad lie that seems to be told is that you may feel like no one, not even the gospel, could change you because you are too broken. You've done things that you feel disqualify you from experiencing the love and forgiveness that comes from your heavenly father. And that is just not true. The truth about the gospel is that death brokenness, guilt, and shame do not define you any longer because if you're living out the gospel, you have a new identity. You are no longer defined by the sins of your past, present, or future. The gospel reality is that you can walk in freedom because of your relationship with Jesus. The other reality is you cannot do this on your own. Like this is not something that you can just use your own strength to all of a sudden become, all right, I'm tied with Jesus. No. How you walk worthy isn't on your own strength or your own parameters. It's by the power and hope and truth of the gospel. Which is why Paul thanks God when he thinks of the Colossians. He's pointing to the hope and the gospel they have received that they're walking worthy, not on their own power or their own holiness, but the one that comes from knowing Jesus. So guys, this is why it's important for us to be reminded of the gospel Every single day. It is not something that we just hear once and move on with our life, guys. We can't forget about our relationship with Jesus because it changes us, guys. And so the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus is that we know, that we get to know and be known by the creator of the universe. He loves us and continually works in us to make us more like him. And as a result of having a relationship, we end up living fruitful lives. And that takes us to point number two, fruitful living. And we'll look at verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So Paul in his prayer states that basically since they've heard of this faithfulness, they haven't stopped praying for these Christians. 
in this prayer, uh, he encourages them to do a few things, actually a couple things. And the last thing is just a reminder. So the first part of it is he says, be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. The next thing he encourages them, he says, that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And the last part of this prayer is just a reminder that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God he loves. In him, we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. There's a lot we can learn from Paul's prayer here and a lot we can learn from the Colossians. But I want to take some time to unpack verse 10 because I feel like that is the heart of these verses. In verse 10, we see we are to walk worthy of the Lord and that it is fully pleasing to him. In other words, Paul is saying when we walk worthy of the Lord, it pleases him. It's not being overly zealous for the Lord. It's not being the super passionate person for the Lord. It's not being the super hype person for the Lord. It's not even being perfect for the Lord. He is say, simply saying walking worthy of the Lord is pleasing to him. And I love this because at the heart of walking... For, uh, walking worthy is looking to please him and not ourselves. It is also bearing fruit and growing in knowledge of God. When you grow in knowledge of who he is, the fruit that is grown is your head and heart posture. The fruit that grows is that your growth of knowledge of him leads to a love for him and not arrogance or pride. Arrogance and pride point to you and not to Jesus. Your love for him grows and your awareness and hatred for sin also grows. As a result, there's good work that is produced as well. This doesn't come from a sinful, sinful or selfish posture, but one that has been transformed by the good news. As that happens, you grow in strength and power according to his glorious might. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are able to live the life he's called you to live, which is worthy of the Lord which is able to give you the patience and the endurance to get through the trials and tribulations as you walk worthy. We see that Paul is pointing to sanctification here. And the idea of sanctification is that you are becoming more and more like Jesus. At the core of this, we learn that walking worthy means living fruitful lives. What makes this life fruitful is that you are becoming more like Jesus. In order for us to live these fruitful lives, we need to be mindful of what we're allowing ourselves to consume, to be influenced by. For some reason, I thought of a plant when I when it came to this, right? Um, a plant needs more than just water in order to thrive. It needs good nutrients in the soil in order to become fruitful. And as I was thinking of this, I was thinking about farmers. Anyone else think about corn when they think about farmers? No, just me? Okay. Well, corn is something that came to mind, right? And so when it comes to, uh, I actually had to look this up because I was like, man, like what, what goes into uh, growing corn? And there's actually a lot that goes into growing corn. And I'll just read you this little uh, excerpt that I found about uh, growing corn. Um, 
Uh, this one's for free. You're welcome. Uh, the vast majority of planting takes place in April and May, although you can... Although corn can be planted as late as June 5th, uh, corn is planted around this time because the soil temperature is warm enough for the seed to germinate. Corn seed needs about 48 hours of soil temperature warmer than 50 degrees to successfully germinate from seed. Um, like any crop or plant, uh, plants need sufficient moisture. And so if these seeds get too much moisture, it can overwhelm the seed and it dies. But if it gets too little moisture, the seed will die. So it's really important that these two months are the months that these, the seed is planted so that it can grow. Another thing farmers look for is they look for a specific kind of seed, a seed that protects um, the, the corn from pests and all these kind of things. All right, I know that was super exciting. Why did I just share all of that about corn? I don't actually like corn. Um, the reason why I shared that was because in order to grow into fruitful and flourishing, flourishing Christians, we must be willing, we have to consider what is being inputted into us or what we're consuming and what environments we are in. Because, guys, bad fruit comes from bad soil. And this is what bad fruit looks like. You end up cheating on your test, even if it's a little bit, or homework assignments. You're very dishonest to the people around you. You judge and condemn others. Maybe it's having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend or doing other things with your boyfriend or girlfriend that you shouldn't be doing. Getting drunk, high, or underage drinking. Um, lack of integrity in public and in private, bitterness and anger towards others, seeking the approval and accolades from school and sports achievements. Ultimately, these things are not encouraging or helping in your walk with Jesus. And even if I didn't share it, you know what those things are. And you can't expect to be a fruitful and faithful follower of Jesus if any of the things that I shared or didn't share are true in your life. Now, this is what it looks like to be a fruitful follower of Jesus. You're part of Christian community, whether that's a C group or a small group or a church community. Why? Because it is in those communities that they will ultimately point you to Jesus. When you're tripping, you have someone come beside you and say, dog, you're tripping. Stop sinning. You have friends and family who are able to walk with you through trials and tribulations. You read your Bible and pray. Why do you read your Bible and pray? Pray. The reason you read your Bible and pray because the Bible is the living word of God. God speaks to you through his word. You pray because he wants to hear from you. You get to communicate to the king of the universe. Having a character of integrity. It's not just what you do in public, but also what you do in private. How do you talk about other people when they're not in the room? How do you think about others? Do you look at inappropriate content that you know feeds your flesh and not your soul? Do you treat others well when no one is looking? I mentioned reconciliation earlier. Are you quick to reconcile with those who have wronged you or you have wronged? Or do you allow bitterness to stew and ruin not only the relationships around you, but you? 
This is why it's important to consider how you're living your life for Jesus. Because if you aren't growing in your relationship with him, it will be evident in your life. Ultimately, if you are the nutrients and soil of your life, you will be met with disappointment, hurt, and ultimately destruction. However, living faithfully means living for Christ and not just yourself. And because of Christ, you are able to live a life fruitfully, not because of your faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness that Christ has towards you. Some of you may think it's about living a perfect life. So you think you're not qualified because you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, when in reality, it's, that's not at all what that means. Some of you may think that it means being passionate for Jesus. And I want to be careful here because having passion for Jesus is not ultimately a bad thing. But the ditch we can fall to when we think about, G when every time we think about Jesus is passion or hype, is that we actually start looking towards passion and hype instead of Jesus. Either ditch can lead you to forget about your first love. Because you have ultimately made an idol of the experience of Christianity and have forgotten about Christ. Now, some of you may have heard this message and thought, wow, I suck. I think so much about myself and I distract myself instead of thinking about Christ and making more of him. Some of you may have heard this message and think, I'm good. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to see a group. I'm going to church. I have Christian community. I'm leading, et cetera, et cetera. I want to speak to you both tonight. Being a Christian is not about us and it's not about doing the right Christian things. It's acknowledging that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to be able to walk worthy of the life and faithfully so that we can see what it looks like, but also die a death that we deserve so that we can live a life we don't deserve, so that we can have a relationship with a God. As a result of having a relationship with him, we are changed. As a result, we are able to walk worthy of the life that Christ has given us because of him. I'm going to call the band, up, band back up. And as I do that, I want to encourage all of you. The goal of your life should not be to be the specific kind of Christian or to have it all figured out. In this passage, Paul is simply saying we should strive to just be plain old faithful Christians. This is anti-hype. It's not exciting. There are moments where the life outside of Christianity will seem super enticing, but the reality is you will be met with disappointment if you pursue anything other than Jesus. The goal of your life should be that one day you get to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's going to be hard. It was never meant to be easy. And here's the reality, we're going to struggle doing it. And let me tell y'all, that's okay. Because he has given you the strength, not through you, through the Holy Spirit, to be able to live faithfully. But first you must be willing to come to him with a weak and humble heart. Because it is in your weakness that he gives us strength. And not in your strength. Let us pray. Dearly Father, 
Thank you so much for being a God who endlessly pursues his people. Even when we weren't coming after you, you came after us and provided us this sweet opportunity to have a relationship with you. And not just any other relationship, but a relationship that transforms us every single day, that gives us hope in the midst where in the midst of uh, sin, death, and destruction in our world, Father, you love us. And even in moments where we feel like we are, we are done with ourselves and the lies of the flesh and the world around us tell us we are not enough, you prove to us that you loved us so much that we were worth the sacrifice by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we have an opportunity to have a new identity. We are no longer going to be identified by our sin and shame, but by the new name that you give us, Father. And I just pray that we are able to leave this place, not just hearing these words and allowing them to leave us, but hearing these words and allowing them to transform us every single day of our lives, Father. Let us be faithful, old Christians, Father. And I pray this in your name. Amen.